1: Romans 6, verses 1 through 14 from the Common English Bible. So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore... We were buried together with him through baptism into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way, we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So then... Don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law but under grace. The word of God for the people of God.
0: So a pastor was visiting a parishioner to the church, and the pastor said, so tell me, how is your relationship with God? And the parishioner responded by saying, well, there's not that much to tell. I like sinning God likes forgiving we get along just fine <laughs> this story is an adaptation of lines from a poem called for the time being a Christmas oratorio in this poem King Herod responds to the magi's news of the sa- Savior's birth and the promise of grace and forgiveness with these words quote, every crook will argue I like committing crimes God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged, end quote. Boy, that admirably arranged world sounds pretty appealing, doesn't it? It's comfortable. It's easy. Doesn't ask very much of me. I can make my apology to you when I've done something wrong. I can offer a quick, "Oh God, please forgive me and go on about my life business as usual. I get to do what I like, God gets to do what God likes to do. And if we're saved by grace, well, then can't we just carry on sinning so that we get more and more grace? In one form or another, this question seems to be one of the first objections people bring up when they talk about the deep reality of God's free grace. Maybe you've wondered about this question. Can't I just go ahead and do this wrong thing that I really want to do because God will forgive me? I mean, it is amazing grace, right? Does your faith in life sometimes express this desire to live in that admirably arranged world of sin and forgiveness? The problem with an admirably arranged world is that wounds never heal. Relationships are never put back together. Lives are not transformed and nothing really changes. Too often we settle for an admirably arranged world instead of allowing God's amazing grace to work in us, to transform us, to heal us, and make us whole and holy. We are not the first ones to wonder about this. In fact, before this Christmas oratorio was written a few hundred years ago, St. Paul dealt with this question thousands of years ago. We heard his answer in his letter to the Romans. So what are we going to say? Should we continue sinning so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. All of us died to sin. How can we still live in it? Our relationship with God in Christ is much more than an admirable arrangement. We have a new identity with Christ. Jesus said that we are new creations in him. When we become part of God's family, we share in the abundant life of Christ. We speak with his mouth, we see with his eyes, we walk with his feet and touch with his hands. We become the body of Christ in the world today. Sometimes, however, we choose not to live that life and we turn away. We deny ourselves the abundant life that Jesus offers us. We live less than who we could be. St. Paul calls that sin. This is not simply a question of good and bad, right or wrong, keeping or breaking rules. Ultimately, it's a choice between life and death. And maybe that's why St. Paul is so adamant in his letter to the church at Rome. Christ is our way of life. We become part of him and he is with us always. In some way, we become like Christ. This gives us a new identity in him. And so St. Paul is telling us to present ourselves to God as a holy and living sacrifice and not to sin. Paul is acting much like a parent who says, I expect more of you. You can do better. This is not about perfecting ourselves, though. This is instead about cooperating with God's grace in us. Our Christian walk is not about a resolution to simply a be a better human. It is instead to welcome the love and grace of Christ within us and allow that to work in our hearts, our minds, and our souls until we are transformed and are new creations. In this week's chapter of Liturgy of the Ordinary, author Tish Warren reflects on the idea of repentance. When we use this word, repentance, it comes to us through the etymology of a word that means to turn, to turn away, to turn from death to life, from sin to holiness. And these are her words about repentance. Quote, for some of us, the idea of repentance can bring to mind a particular emotional experience or the minor key songs of an altar call at a revival meeting. But repentance and faith are the constant daily rhythms of the Christian life. Our breathing out and breathing in. In the small moments that reveal my lostness and my brokenness, I need to develop the habit of admitting the truth of who I am. Not running to justify myself or minimize my sin. In my brokenness and in my lostness, I also need to form the habit of letting God love me, trusting again in God's mercy, receiving again God's words of forgiveness and absolution over me, End quote. In our worship service today, we will be praying a prayer of confession. I will offer words of absolution. Not that I offer the forgiveness, but that I remind you that God has forgiven you. We include this practice in worship today because we'll be sharing in communion. And we always have a moment of confession and absolution before communion. Some churches have confession every single week as part of their practice. To remind them every week to turn again and again and again and again to God. To know that there is life. Paul wrote this, you should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ. He reminds us that we are alive and have grace. It's an opportunity to turn again and again to abundant life. Author Tish Warren reflects elsewhere in this week's chapter about that need for confession to become a habit. She wrote, quote, Rich Mullins, one of my favorite writers and musicians, said that when he was a kid, he'd walk down the church aisle and he would be born again or rededicate his life to Christ every year at church camp. In college, he'd do it about every six months and then quarterly. By the time he was in his forties, it was about four times a day. Repentance is not usually a moment wrought in high drama; it is the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ, and therefore a day in Christ. End quote. So what Rich Mullins was doing was not simply sinning boldly so that he could be forgiven. Instead, as he grew more sanctified, more holy, more Christ-like, he came to be more aware of what was in him that needed repentance. Turning again and again and again to Christ allows us to embrace grace and abundant life. And this practice frees us from slavery to sin and death. Turning to grace enables us to make a different choice. It allows us to choose to live and to love like Jesus. And that is radically different from something that an admirably arranged world would ever offer us. The crook of whom King Herod speaks will forever be sneaking around, hiding in the dark, living in fear, afraid of being caught. That's no way to live. Jesus offers us abundant life. If we lived in an admirably arranged world, we would feel hollow, empty, impoverished. We were not created for that. We have been freed from the power of sin, and we are now free to choose eternal life right here and right now. So let us today choose Jesus. Choose abundant life to turn from whatever is enslaving us So that there's no more sneaking, no more hiding, no more fearing, no more admirably arranged lives. There is simply abundant grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.